Chapter Two of Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Among Malay Pirates and Other Stories by G. A. Henty. Chapter Two. Four or five days later, the chief was allowed to get up and to walk quietly up and down the deck. And a week afterwards, the doctor said. You can go now, chief, if you desire it, but you must be content to keep quiet for another couple of months, and not make any great exertions or move quickly. How long will it take you to go up the river to your home? Six days, easy paddling. Well, that's in your favor, but do not travel fast. Take it quietly, and be as long as you can on the voyage. Lying in a canoe is as good a rest as you can take. Thank you, doctor. I will obey your instructions." You have all been very kind to me, and a Malay chief never forgets benefits. I have been hostile to the white men, but now I see I have been mistaken, and that you are good and kind. Is it true that your boat is going up the river? Sohei tells me that it is so. Yes, one of the chiefs, Sehe Pandash, wishes to place himself under our protection, and he is sent to ask that the ship might go up and fire her big guns, that the tribes round may see that he has strong friends who can help him. It is two days rowing up the river to my place from his, and when you are there I shall come down to see you. Sehai is not a good chief. He quarrels with his neighbors, and shelters their slaves who run away to him. He is not a good man. Well, we shall all be glad to see you, chief, and I hope that you will bring your daughter with you. She has won all our hearts, and we shall miss her sadly. I will bring her if I can do so safely, the chief said gravely. But I am no friends with Sahib. He stops my trade as it comes down the river, and takes payment for all goods that pass down. It is because he knows that many of us are angered that he wishes to put himself under your protection. I think that you do not do well to aid so bad a fellow. We do not know that he is a bad fellow, chief. The best plan will be for you and the other chiefs who are aggrieved to send down complaints against him, or to come down yourselves when we are up there and talk it over with our captain who will doubtless impress upon Sehi the necessity for abstaining from such practices, in that he cannot expect aid from us if he embroils himself with his neighbors by interfering with their trade. Is he strong? He has many war prows which sometimes come down to the sea and return with plunder, either collected from the cultivators near the coast or from trading ships captured and burnt. I will mention what you tell me to the captain, and it will prepare him to listen to any complaint that may be made to him. But you must remember that he is only acting under the orders of the governor of the Straits settlements, and must refer all important matters to him. I will come when you are there, Hassan said gravely. If nothing is done, there will be war. There was general regret on board the Serpent when the little princess said good-bye to all her friends and went down the accommodation ladder to the boat with her father. The chief had said but little to the two young midshipmen, for he saw that they preferred that the matter should not be alluded to, but he held their hands at parting and said, I shall see you again before long, but if at any time you should want me, I will come, even if your summons reach me in the middle of a battle. It's such nonsense, doctor, Harry said, as the boat pushed off to have so much made of such a thing as jumping into the water. If one had been alone, and had tried to save a man or a woman, in such a state of funk that there was a good chance of their throwing their arms round your neck and pulling you down with them, there might be something 
in it, but though everyone takes his chance of that when he jumps in to save anyone from drowning, but with a little child and two of us to do it, and the ship close at hand, it was not worth thinking of for a moment. No, Parkhurst, from your point of view the thing was not, as you say, worth giving a thought to. But, you see, that is not the point of view of the chief. To him it is nothing whether your exploit was a gallant one or not, or whether you ran any danger. The point simply is, his child would have been drowned had you not seen her and fished her out. And that is to you that he owes her life. I think you have reason to congratulate yourselves on having made a friend who may be very useful to you. It may be that there will be trouble up the river, and if so, he might possibly be of real service to you. But in any case, he may be able to give you some good hunting and fishing, and show you things that you would never have had an opportunity of seeing without his friendship and assistance. Oh, I did not think of that, Doctor. Yes, that would certainly be a great thing. I can assure you I look at it in that light myself, Parkhurst, and I am looking forward to paying him a visit, as under his protection I should get opportunities of collecting which I could never have in the ordinary way, for unless they are greatly maligned, one could not trust one's self among the Malays without some special protection. But they are not savages, Doctor. Hassan is a perfect gentleman in manner, and in that silk jacket of his and handsome sarong he really looks like a prince. I could not help thinking that all of us looked poor creatures by his side. They certainly cannot be called savages, though from our point of view many of their customs are of a very savage nature. Piracy is very general among those living on the sea-coast or on the great rivers, but it must be remembered that it is not so very many centuries ago that a toll was demanded of all passers-by by the barons having castles on the Rhine and other navigable rivers. The crews of wrecked ships were plundered on every coast of Europe, our own included, not so very long ago. And in the days of Elizabeth, Drake and Hawkins were regarded by the Spaniards as pirates of the worst class, and I fear that there was a good deal of justice in the accusation. But the Malays are people with a history. They believe themselves that they were the original inhabitants of the island of Sumatra. However, it is certain that in the twelfth century they had extended their rule over the whole of that island and many of its neighbors, and in the thirteenth had established themselves on this peninsula, and had founded an empire extending over the greater part of the islands down to the coast of Australia. They had by this time acquired the civilization of India, and their sultans were powerful monarchs. They carried on a great trade with China, Hindustan, and Siam, and their maritime code was regulated and confirmed as early as 1276 by Mohammed Shah. How is it that they have come to such grief, Doctor? Principally by the fact that they had the feudal, or you may call it the tribal, system. Each petty chief and his followers made war on his neighbors if he was strong enough, and as some tribes conquered others, the empire became split up into an infinite number of clans, whose chiefs paid but a very nominal allegiance to the sultan. So islands broke off from the empire until it had practically ceased to exist, and the Malays were a people united only by similar customs and language, but in no other respect, and were, therefore, able to offer but slight resistance on the arrival of the Dutch and Portuguese in these regions. Still, the upper classes preserve the memory of their former greatness. The people are intelligent, and most of the trade in this part of the world is carried on by them. 
They are enterprising and ready to emigrate if they see a chance of improving their fortunes. You know, we saw many of them at the Cape when we touched there. Nominally, they are Mohammedans in religion, but they do not strictly observe the ordinance of the Koran, and their Mohammedanism is mixed up with traces of their original religion. Ah, that explains why the chief's name was Hassan. I wondered that a Malay should have a Mohammedan name. They are not much like Arabs in figure, of course. Hassan is a very fine-looking man, and some of the other chiefs we saw at Penang were so. But most of them are shorter than we are, and very ugly. Yes, in figure and some other points they much resemble the Burmese, who are probably blood relations of theirs. The chiefs are finer men, as you will always find in the case in savage or semi-savage peoples, for, of course, they have the pick of the women and naturally choose the best-looking. Their food, too, is better, and their work less rough than that of the people at large. The sons and daughters of the chiefs naturally intermarry, and the result is that in most cases you'll find the upper classes taller, better formed, lighter in color, and of greater intelligence than the rest of the people. This would be especially the case in a trading people like the Malays. Their ships would bring over girls purchased in India, just as the ruling classes in Turkey used to obtain their wives from Circassia, and this no doubt has helped to modify the original Malay type. Thank you, Doctor. I think I shall like the Malays, now I know something about them. Is it true that, that they are so treacherous? Well, I don't know, Parkhurst. Doubtless they are treacherous in their wars. That's to say that they consider any means fair to deceive an enemy. But I do not think that they are so beyond that. The Dutch have never had any very great difficulty with them, nor have we in the portion of the peninsula where we have established our rule. Of course I know little about them myself, as I have only been out here a few months, but I am told that as traders they can be trusted, and that the word of a Malay chief can be taken with absolute confidence. Of course among the majority of the people of the peninsula we are regarded with jealousy and hostility. They dread that we should extend our dominion over them, and it is not surprising that they should by every means in their power strive to prevent our coming far inland. The chiefs on the rivers are, as a rule, especially hostile. In the first place, because their towns and villages are more accessible to us, and they know more of our power than those dwelling in the hill country. And secondly, because they depend largely upon the revenue that they derive from taxing all goods passing up and down, and which they, not unreasonably, think they might lose if we were to become paramount. No doubt there is much that Hassan said of Sehi that is true and is applicable to other chiefs who have placed themselves under our protection, namely, that they have so injured trade by their exactations as to incur the hostility of their neighbors. Of course I am not speaking of such men as the Rajahs of Johor and Perak, who are enlightened men and have seen the benefits to be derived from intercourse with us. Their people are agriculturists, and they are really on a par with the protected states in India. There is a great future before the country. Gold is found in many of the rivers, tin is probably more abundant than in any other part of the world, and the exports are now very large. There are immense quantities of valuable timber, such as teak, sandalwood, and ebony. The climate is, except on the lowland near the rivers, very healthy. Nutmegs, cloves, and other spices can be grown there, and indigo, chocolate, pepper, opium, the sugar-cane, coffee, and cotton are all successfully cultivated. Some day, probably, the whole peninsula will fall under our protection, and when the constant tribal feuds are put a stop to, 
the forests cleared and the ground cultivated, as is the case in our own settlement in Malacca, it will be found one of the most valuable of our possessions. Any amount of labor can be obtained from China, and it is probable that the races who inhabit the mountainous districts, who are said to be industrious and peaceable, will also readily adapt themselves to the changed conditions. They are not Malays like the people of the lowlands, but are a black race with curly wool like the natives of Africa, and probably inhabited the whole peninsula before the arrival of the Malays. How funny that there should be niggers here, Harry said. Well, they're not exactly negroes, but one of the races known as negritos, having, of course, many negro characteristics, but differing from the African negroes in some important particulars. To them, our supremacy would be an unmixed blessing. Their products would reach the coast untaxed, and they would obtain all European goods at vastly cheaper rates. A minor benefit to be obtained by our supremacy is that our sportsmen would certainly speedily diminish the number of wild beasts that at present are a scourge to cultivators. The tigers would be killed down, the elephants captured and utilized, and the poor people would not see their plantations ravaged, but would be able to travel through their forests without the constant danger of being carried off by tigers and panthers, and possibly be able to cross their rivers without the risk of being snapped up by alligators, though, doubtless, it would take some time before this would be brought about. "'And when do you think we shall be going up the river, doctor?' "'Well, that I cannot say. The captain has been expecting orders ever since we came here six weeks ago. But possibly something may have been learned of Sehi's characteristics, and there may be doubts as to the expediency of taking under our protection a chief whose conduct appears to be anything but satisfactory.' On the other hand, it may be considered that by so doing we may establish some sort of influence over the surrounding tribes, and so make a step towards promoting trade and putting a stop to these tribal wars that are the curse of the country. "'It would be an awful sell if they were to change their minds,' Harry exclaimed. "'I should be sorry myself, Parkhurst, for you know I am a collector. But I can tell you that you won't find it all sport and pleasure. You'll have no cool sea-breezes.' There will be occasion for continual watchfulness, and perhaps long boat expeditions up sluggish streams, in an atmosphere laden with moisture and miasma. Well, one expects some drawbacks, doctor. You'll find a good many, I can tell you, youngster. Still, I hope we shall go up, and I think that we shall do so, for it will be the captain's report that will help the authorities to decide whether to appoint a resident there or not. And a fortnight later a small dispatch-boat steamed in, and the news soon spread through the ship that the serpent was to ascend the river on the following day. All was at once bustle and animation. Sailors liked anything for a change, and all were impatient at the long delay that had occurred. End of chapter 2 Recording by Mike Harris